welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So this morning we're taking uh, a momentary hiatus, a little break from our series on Moses, uh, which is... Uh, I'm, 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 I'm at once excited about, but also, you know, because um, I get a break and I, I spend some time doing some other things this week other than reading about Moses and preparing for that. But also, of course, I'm having a blast with this series, so I'm excited for that next week. Um, I'm going to introduce Kirk to you in just a moment. Before I do that, I just want to give you an update. Some of you may be wondering, uh, last week we shared a little bit about uh, a potential move of Awaken to a new place that we're negotiating with uh, right over off of Randolph and West 7th. Um, so here's how it works out. We have initial put an initial offer in to rent the space. They came back with a counter offer, and we have countered their counter offer. Okay, so this is the dance that we do, right? And then hopefully we'll figure out a way to meet in the middle where it's uh, uh, advantageous for all parties involved for us to be there. But they're excited about the po- the possibility and the partnership, and I'm very hopeful. Uh, I would say now it's just a matter of figuring out some of the details as to what this lease agreement would look like. So be in prayer. If you're into prayer, you do that kind of thing. We'd invite you to join us. Uh, um, they should be discussing this on Tuesday morning. Uh, so if you think about it that day, that would be great. Um, I want to invite Kirk uh, Livesay. He's going to teach this morning. And um, I've gotten to know Kirk over the last couple of uh, weeks and months. He and his wife, Sarah, have moved back from Morocco, where they spent some time. Um, and uh, Sarah is uh, uh, the sister of Liz, who's on our advisory team here at Awaken. Some, some of you know her and may uh, connect the dots there. So um, would you please put your hands together for my good friend, Kirk Livesay. Put your hands together. It's the joke joint. It's awesome. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Not so much. All right. Uh, so yeah, my name's Kirk, and as I said, as he said, uh, we just moved back in June um, from Morocco. I have a wife and three boys, and I hardly know any of you because we always come to the the early service, and so I don't really see any of you guys because our kids are, you know, done by noon. So. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me, um, but I just want to give you a little heads up about what we're going to be talking about here, um, and, you know, you're used to Micah speaking, which, you know, I'm sure anybody who gets up here is a little bit like, oh, I got to follow that, um, because he's a great speaker and everything, but I just want to, you know, let you know what's going to happen here a little bit. When I, whenever I have been asked to speak, usually I, uh, you know, I, I tend to speak about on whatever's rolling around inside my brain and in my heart at the time, and uh, you know, whatever questions I'm struggling with, um, and so uh, often I won't have very good answers to my questions. You know, I'll have some kind of answers uh, that I'm, you know, God is leading me towards. I, I think and stuff like that, but I don't really have uh, solid answers. How some of the time I'm not going to have three points. Um, so just to let you know, there are going to be some questions that I'm not sure I'm going to answer you know, completely. Um, also, just a few distinctions between Micah and myself. As I said in the first service, I am not as scholarly as he is. Um, and I really have always wanted to be a scholar, and I've always been a little jealous. I have definite nerd tendencies, and I'm very proud of them. Um, and I'm a pretty big nerd, but I, there's, I'm not even close to as big as a nerd as he is. <laughs> and so there's not going to be any Hebrew up on the board. I'm not going to be you know, translating from the Aramaic for you, you know. So maybe, as I said before, maybe a little pig Latin. If I can slip that in and sound smart, that'll work. Another thing you'll notice between the two of us is that unlike him, I have chosen to maintain my horrible haircut. 
Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get mine fixed. I'm okay with my horrible haircuts. Yeah, he, had, he went and got a new, nice... This is how haircuts go in my, in my home. Uh, I hate paying money for haircuts. I, in Morocco, I could go to the nicest salon in Casablanca and have a massage and a shampoo, and they would feed me coffee and rolls, and I'd walk out of there and pay like $12 or $13. It was awesome. And those are the only... So now I cut my own hair, kind of. <laughs> So that's why it's so horrible. So, uh, you know, actually what I do is I get out the clippers and when I finally can't take it anymore because I want my wife to cut it, my hair, but she's kind of nervous about it. She doesn't want to screw it up. So finally I just get out the clippers and I go in the bathroom and I start, you know, buzzing away here and there. And I'm like, and, and she's listening and she can hear me like, oh, crap. Ah. And so finally I get to the point where it's so bad that she comes in, she looks at it and she's like, yeah, I can't do any worse, you know. So she gets the clippers and so that's how I got this haircut. And so she tries to clean up my mess. So anyways, I want to talk about something that's been going around in my head and, uh, recently. And um, I want to start out with just a question. I want to ask you a question. And it's a simple question. My question for you is, what do you want? What is it that you would like? Right now, if, if, when I say, what do you want? Hey, what do you want? A new boat. <laughs> a burger? What if, um, Mike and I were talking earlier, and we were talking about Monopoly. What if life were like Monopoly, and we, you just won that $15 prize for the beauty contest? Remember that? $15? Seems like a pretty low prize, doesn't it? Monopoly came out in like 1902 or something. Yeah, or what if instead of the, the $15 prize, uh, beauty prize, you got $2, $200 for pass and go? That's a little more money. You could buy something with $200. What would you get with your $200? What would you go buy? Anything? A boat? For me, I'd probably buy some kind of outdoorsy, bike-related or climbing type of thing. I'm, I, I fancy myself an outdoorsman of sorts. My wife would buy Jane Austen books. She constantly wants Jane Austen books. I've bought her a lot of Jane Austen books or similar type books over the last couple of years. Uh, my oldest son, Candy, of course. My middle son, Spy Vision Goggles, Night Vision Goggles. Um, so, you know, when, there are a lot of things we want, right? We always are wanting things, it seems. Um, and... One thing that, um, there's this song, that, um, I think Mike was playing it when we first came in, we had it playing. Um, there's this new, uh, well, a new, newer album from the band First Aid Kit that has come out recently. And this one song called Stay Gold has been really uh, haunting me because I've been thinking about this idea, like, what do we want? What do we want? And, and this song really um, is about this. So I just want to go ahead and let the song play, and their lyrics are on the screen so you can see this, and we'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> Sun shone high those few summer days, left us in a song, white eyed haze. It shone like gold, it shone like gold, but just as the moon, it shall stray. So Get up. 
That is really that. I just love how when when I find things like that, um, you know, this popular song, these girls from Sweden, this, the pair of siblings, and they have this song that seems to um, connect so perfectly to uh, you know how I am seeing God and His story, and um, those words like, I mean, how many of you have ever felt this way? How many of you ever felt like, why can't you know? I wish it could stay gold. What if to love and beloved is not enough? What if I fall and get, can't bear to get up? You know, what if the road doesn't take me there? These deep yearnings, right? This song is about the stuff that we really care about. These these desires that we have that are below and the reason for most of our actions, our deep, deep desires. And this song really speaks to me about these deep desires. Like, what do we really want, right? So if I ask you again, you know, thinking about those things, what is it that you really want? You know, most of the things that we want can be boiled down to a few basic things, I think, right? We all have a lot of the same similar desires in the end, and we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of, hierarchy of needs a few weeks ago with, you know, the bottom, your basic needs are you need to be, you know, have a house and have food and clothing, you know, you do, then after that, you need to be safe. You have to be, feel secure. Then after that, you, your next level of needs is belongingness and love. You need to feel like you fit in. 
right? Then the next level is self-esteem. You want to feel good about yourself. And the last level is the self-actualization where you feel like you are being a part of the answer or that you are a part of the, the big machine that is making things happen in a meaningful way. And you're happy with that, right? So what, what do you really want? When you think about these deeper things, what is it that you personally keep coming back to? What are the things that perhaps when you're talking to God, when you're praying, you're always praying to him about these, few, these particular things, these things that keep coming up over and over, our deep, deep yearnings. Um, <clears throat> one of mine is I have this horribly deep desire for life to be epically adventurous and to have big purpose, right? I was ruined at a very young age by J.R.R. Tolkien. My dad, who was my fifth grade teacher, uh, read us The Hobbit. And I was like, it was an, it was an enlightenment to me. I was like, Where, what is this Hobbit thing? And he read it in class, and I remember uh, just waiting for story time every day. I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And as soon as he was done, you know, I ran to the library, and I checked it out, and I read it through four times without stopping, and it was one of those things where I was like, you know, you ever get to the end of a book, and you're like, ah, why does it have to be done? Or you're like, ah, I wish I could just forget it all and start again at the beginning. You ever think that? Like, why can't I just, like, it's all brand new. I just loved this, this epic journey that they take from Bilbo, just, you know, they trick him basically into coming, and then they go and do all this stuff, and they get back, and at the end, and this huge adventure. And so for a few days, for a year or two, I was, you know, I read the the Hobbit over and over, and then somebody told me, well, you know, there are three more books. I'm like, three more books? Are you serious? Three more books? The Lord of the Rings. So it was the middle of the summer. I ran to the library, you know, and um, I'm a sixth grader in the middle of summer, and I did not leave my house. Maybe my mom is here today. Maybe she can remember. I sat in the white spinning chair in front of the window at the top of the stairs for a week straight, and I did not leave the house once. And I read this thing through two times, all, all three books, just read it from beginning to end twice. And I was just like, oh, this is so awesome. You know, this is exactly what I want my life to be like. Frodo is given this huge, epic adventure. He doesn't even want it, but he, he mans up and he goes on this huge adventure and all these crazy things happen. And at the end, he comes back and it's, like, it's huger and bigger than life, you know? It was amazing. And I just, ever since then, I have wanted my life to be like that. I've wanted to see life as this massive adventure and it just eats at me in a good way sometimes. So, yeah. Um, my wife, she really has this deep, deep desire to know and be known, right? She wants deep relationships. And this is something that is constantly coming up in our relationship, in our marriage. You know, she wants me to pursue her and know her on this deep level. And that's one of her most deeply held desires. And it, all, it keeps coming back up and up over and over. Right? My son, Oliver, is a, he loves justice. He wants everything to be just. He says fair over and over. I mean, and I know this is normal for young kids, but he seems to be a little bit over the top. He just really desires justice. He's like David, King David. Right? And so he, we, we all have these really deep, deep desires. And those are the things that have haunted me a lot as I struggle with God and I struggle with what am I supposed to be doing and what are you supposed to be doing? What are you supposed to be doing, and what, how am I supposed to be working together with you? You know, I have these horrible, deep, deep desires, and you're up there, you know, with your omnipotence. What are you doing for me? What, what, what am I supposed to do? Right? And so it's difficult. I, I've struggled with it a lot. Uh, how many of you have read the Harry Potter series? Yeah? 
also good books, not as good as Lord of the Rings, sorry. Or if you've seen the movies, anyone? Movies will count, I'll count the movies. But you're going to be required to read the books for your next assignment. All right, in the Harry Potter books, in the first book, he comes upon this mirror, the mirror of Erised, which is desire spelled backwards. So if you see it in a mirror, it would spell desire. Some of that nerdiness I was talking about. Um, and so what happens? Well, a little bit of, if you don't know, who doesn't know Harry Potter, but just in case, he is a wizard when he was a very small infant. This very, very bad wizard, Voldemort, came and tried to kill him. He killed his whole family, and the, it, the Voldemort was not able to kill him. The spell bounced back and killed Voldemort. And so he has grown up as kind of an orphan with his aunt and uncle who despise him. All right, so he comes upon this mirror, and the mirror is the uh, mirror of Erised, the mirror of desire. It shows you what your deepest desire is, what you really want, what you yearn for, right? And what does he see in this mirror? Him with his parents, surrounded by his parents. This thing that he's never had, that he can't remember, and that he desires more than anything else. He wants this so badly. What about Ron, his best friend? Do you remember what Ron sees? Quidditch victory, best boy, right? He's got the best or prefect, head prefect boy guy, whatever the name is, the badge and the Quidditch, and he's got glory. You know, and that has to do with belongingness and love, being accepted. He wants to be accepted. He's constantly living in the shadow of his older brothers who are awesome and Harry who is awesome, and he's kind of a bumbling, you know, stumbling type of guy. But So he sees this. And then um, what does Dumbledore, does anybody, do you remember what Dumbledore sees when he, Harry asks, so Mr. Dumbledore, what do you see when you look in the mirror? He sees himself, thank you, Tiger. He, uh, he sees himself holding a nice pair of woolen socks because it's really hard to be unhappy when you have a nice pair of socks. I used, to, I used to be really big into socks and underwear. I always had this theory like, you know, if you have comfy underwear and comfy socks, that pretty much sets the tone for everything else. <laughs> so I used to always ask for comfortable socks and underwear for Christmas and stuff. But anyways, so then Dumbledore is talking to him because Harry every night is coming to this hidden room to sit in front of this mirror and he sits there and he looks and he just stares all night at himself with surrounded by his parents and so Dumbledore comes and says to him he says you can't I, I'm gonna have to hide the mirror I'm gonna have to move it to a new place because you can't sit here and stare into this and just give in to this yearning and he says it doesn't do well to live in dreams you have to live life too and he, as he's instructing Harry uh, he says this thing, he says, you know, the, the most contented man in the world, the happiest man in the world, would look into this mirror and he would see only himself. He would see only his reflection as it truly is, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. Just complete, no desires. That man has everything, right? Everything he wants. How's, does that sound nice to you? Does that sound good? Like, ah, satisfaction, completion. Doesn't that sound good in a way to, to be like, it sounds like that's the way it should be. If you're, if you're really good enough, then you'll be satisfied with yourself. But is that you? If you sat down in front of the mirror, is that going to be you? Or are you going to just be like, hey, there you are, Kirk, looking good. Nice haircut. Yeah. Get the clippers. Is that you? Are you I mean, are your deepest longings being fulfilled, satisfied? I would say that for the most part, many of us, I, I think that you share in my dilemma is that 
this is not the case. Your deepest longings uh, often go unfulfilled, right? I, I mean, and this is something I've wrestled with God so much about concerning one issue or another throughout my life, depending on whatever's coming up, you know, whether it's marriage or just as my world expands, different things. But how do we react then to this? How do we react to this, this deep yearning that we have that goes unfulfilled, right? It's, we're not, it's not getting fulfilled, so what do we do? First of all, we seek to fulfill it, right? We try to fill it up. We try to appease it. We try to satisfy this longing that we have, right? And so for me, you know, think... Uh, my, my deep desire to have this epic, adventurous life that, that has purpose and meaning, and it's, um, you know, I love this idea of the, the immediacy of good versus evil. You know, there's no question in Tolkien's world. An orc walks up, he's got a big sword, he's evil. That's all, you, that's all there is to it. You kill him and you've kind of gone a step further on your quest. You know, it's so immediate and simple. I just, and so this has really driven my life. All the things, you know, like, what would I buy? Well, I would buy, like a, like, a new tent or a new climbing rope or a new bike part because I've spent the last 20 years of my life, you know, seeking out this kind of epic adventure. You know, as soon as I graduated from high school, I was gone. You know, I'd go to, I'd go to college for a while, and then I'd go out to the West, and I'd be living in my truck, and I'd be climbing in Yosemite, and I'd be climbing, and I'd drive down to New Mexico. I'm like, hey, I'm going out to East, and I'd drive across the country because something could ha- cool could happen over there, and I was just really wanting this epic adventure for my li- in my life, right? For my wife, she's always buying Jane Austen books because she wants to know and be known, right? Jane Austen's all about relationships. Oh, Mr. Darcy. Or how about um, uh, uh, Anne of Green Gables? Yes. Anne of Green Gables, anyone? Yes. I, um, I know what it is like to live in the shadow of Gilbert Bly. The, the romantic hero of Anne of Green Gables' saga. Um, that is what my wife, you know, she, spends, she still spends all her money on Jane Austen mo- books. Just her last birthday, she's like, ah, another book. Yeah, I think I'll go for that. And, and, and it just, it totally speaks to this deep desire of her. And Oliver, my son, he d- deeply desires things to be fair and to see justice done. And so whenever he gets money, he goes and buys candy. Yeah. Uh, he's, he actually, he does, yeah. So we seek to fulfill these things. We, we, like, we're doing so many things in our lives to fulfill these desires, right? But they really never get filled up, do they? At least not completely. I, I think we can find ways to take care of them, you know, for a time or maybe partially. You know, my wife, she married me, right? So... To know and be known. She's got, a, she's got, you know, basically the next best thing to Gilbert Bly, right? That's me. Um, and, and it does. I fulfill, to some degree, that really deep need of hers, but not fully. She's, she's never been like, you know what, Kirk? You're done. That was great. Now, why don't you just go biking some more or something, you know? Because, no, she still wants to be known and to know and to have that deep relationship. It's not fulfilled, right? All my, my 20 years of adventuring, I still want to go out and be adventurous, right? Oliver can't get enough candy. So so then if we can't fulfill it, what do we do with it normally? What, what are some things we do instead of, you know, fulfilling it, if it can't be fulfilled? Any ideas? What do we do with it? I think sometimes we seek to kind of comfort ourselves or maybe ease the, the, the longing. 
Maybe we complain about it. You ever know those people who they complain? <laughs> I've seen, you know, I, have, I can have that tendency. Maybe we ignore it. Just kind of let it go. Be like, oh, that's dumb. Or maybe we substitute things for it, you know, like, and that's where our addictions come in, you know. And I've, I was addicted to the whole idea of this adventurous life for a while, you know. It was like, I've got to be doing this. Otherwise, you know, I'm just not okay. One thing I tend to do is I kind of get angry and I get all upset with God. I'm like, what gives? You know, like, why, 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 why are you making me this way? Why do you make me with this horrible desire to have something that's never going to be? Just like the song said, right? Why can't it stay gold? Do, do, how many of you have that golden time that you can think back to? Do you have the golden time, whether it was with a person or just with a situation? Or, or maybe you're in the golden time right now and, you know, you're like, oh, I hope it stays. Right? What, what do we do with this? How am I supposed to deal with this? deep-seated desire that can't be fulfilled, right? And, and, and honestly, I've had, I found really unsatisfactory act, um, answers from Christendom up to this point, you know? People in, you know, I grew up in a, very, a pretty conservative place, and, uh, you know, they, they, one of their first responses is, oh, it's just, a, it's just a condition of the fall. Yeah, so? That doesn't change anything, does it, right? I still have it. I still want to know what I'm supposed to do with it. And then, um, you know, there are the even worse ones, like, well, why don't you just give it to God? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I've given it to God a lot. I really give it to him, too. Or just pray, trust more, have a little more faith, right? Or the worst one, well, because uh, it's a condition of the fall, just wait till his return, wait till he comes back. All right, well, that doesn't really help me a whole lot, right? So are we supposed to just ache with this? Are we supposed to just have these deep desires that go unfulfilled and have this aching that doesn't go away? Like in the song, are we supposed to? Um, as I've been, you know, wrestling with this and going through my nights, my sleepless nights, you know, with different issues as they come up with God and, and, and questioning him and saying, why are things like this? As I've been thinking about things, one of the most comforting things that I've noticed as I wrestle with this particular issue is that when you look at history, when you look at God, it looks like he's had a really similar experience to me, to my, and to us, to our deep yearnings, to our longings. He has gone through this same thing, right? He is filled, this, he is a God that is filled with yearning. And this really, when I noticed this, it really started to give me some hope, right? He really has experienced the same thing. And this is something I love I love to see how we relate with God and how we can start to understand ourselves. You know, and a few weeks ago, Michael, Micah was talking about God and how he's ineffable, how he's unsearchable and unknowable, how he's infinite. He's so other from us, but at the same time, he's like us in so many ways. We are like him, actually. We're, we're more like him um, because we're created in his image, right? And I love to see how we can relate to him on this, in this issue, because he's had the same thing. He has felt these same things. Scriptures are filled with evidence of his yearning, of his deep longing. And, and what's more, it's filled with evidence of his deep, unfulfilled, and unmet, and unsatisfied longing, I think. It seems that way to me, at least for the moment. You know, in the end, our, our hope and trust is that 
things are going to come together and the way he has designed them. But for the now, and of course he's outside of time and we could get into all that. And, but for now, just this helps me, so I'm going to stick with inside time. Uh, his desires are going unfulfilled, right? Look at, the, look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is so full of him yearning for people. Look, the Song of Solomon, right? All these pictures, all these erotic and evocative pictures of, of, of love between a man and a woman. And yes, I, I don't believe that God was like, you know, so- Solomon's like, I'm going to write an allegory. I'm going to write about ladies, but it's really about God and us. No, I think he was writing poems to the ladies. You know, he liked the ladies, right? He had 900 wives. And so he wrote a bunch of poetry because the ladies love poetry. Guys, love, ladies love poetry. They love it. They do. They dig it. And he knew this, and it was really in vogue at, ta- at the time. There was a lot of literature at that time of these guys, philosophers, you know, Omar Khay- uh, the ruby out of Omar Khayyam and, and things like this, and, you know, guys writing to the ladies. And, and it worked, apparently, because he had 900 wives. But, you know, it's a picture of the longing, of this deep longing to, be, to have intimacy. And it, it's a great picture of God's longing for intimacy with us. All right? Noah and the flood. You look at the flood, and, you know, you see how he gets to the end. He's like, no, 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 this is not the way it's supposed to be. He has a, lo- a longing, a deep desire for something to happen, and it's not happening. Right? And so what, what's his response? He's finally like, okay, we're starting over. Because you guys, you are creating a hell for yourself. And I did not, I did not design this for you to live through hell, to live in hell. I designed it for you to live with me. And so he does that calling Abraham and, and creating a chosen people so that he can show the world who he's like, what he's like and who he is. He wants the people of Israel to be a picture of him so that the people of the world then are drawn to him. And then you get the exilic sickle, cycle, you know, like the, the people of Israel, they, they, they follow God for a time and they're so close and everything's great. And then they start worshiping idols and they go off into exile. And they're in exile for 300 years. And then he pleads with them to please come back. And they see, yes, we were idiots and we want to come back. And then they come back and then they do it again and it goes around and around and around, right? And this, this picture of, I love the, the, the picture of Hosea and Gomer. Hosea, the prophet of God, and God says, go out, and you, there's a pro- prostitute on the road out there, and I want you to take her home, and you're going to clean her up, and you're going to marry her. You're going to marry this prostitute. And so Hosea does this. He goes out, and he grabs this prostitute, he cleans her up, he makes a respectable woman out of her, and he, and he marries her. And what happens? Within a very short period of time, off she goes again to sleep with other guys. And he finds her in the street again. And he brings her home again. And the whole cycle is a picture of how God is constantly asking us, please, please, please come. Come to me. Please come back. Right? You get to Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus standing over Jerusalem, right? And he looks over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, how many times have I wished that I could draw you to myself, to bring you under my wings, my, my, my cover of protection, to hold you close to myself. But no, you never let me. You won't let it happen. And then in, the, the, in Acts or Romans when it says that even creation itself is moaning. It's groaning with these birth pangs of pain because of what is happening. Creation itself has this deep longing for something to be other, for something to be different. And so when I look at it and I see, wow, God is experiencing the same thing. At least to some degree, He's experiencing this too. That really gives me hope. That makes me feel like I'm not abandoned. I don't have to despair. You know, what if my, what if the road won't take me there? What if, uh, give in to despair? Oh, I forgot the words. Anyways, you know, I, I, I have some hope that 
this is not unique to us. He's done it. And so then what does he do? Does he try any of our tactics that we try, you know, like substituting or, you know, working to just fulfill our, or maybe ignoring them? What does he do with these deep desires, right? I think as you look at the story of the Bible as a story and as a whole, it's a story of him constantly, you know, and you've got, you guys have all heard this, I'm sure, this idea of him just constantly calling us to himself, calling his beloved back to himself because of this deep, deep yearning that he has to know us and to be known by us, like my wife. He wants this thing so badly, and you see it all through Scripture. He is working and working, and he is constantly trying to redeem the world until finally it culminates in this final act and the ultimate act of redemption of the cross. Right? He's proactive. He, he has this deep yearning, and, and so it, it produces in him acts of redemption, redemptive work. Just like at the, in the video when your daughter is talking and, and says, God, you know, we want to be a people who join God in his redemptive work here in the world, right? This is how he responds. And I can look at now, I can look at my own, my deepest unfulfilled desires as an invitation to join him in his redemptive work here in the world. Instead of, instead of what I have done classically, and I get really angry. And I'm like, this is not right. This is not the way things should be. Why aren't you doing something about it? Why aren't you fixing this? I'm not the omnipotent one. I'm, I'm just Kirk, you know. I'm laying in my bed sweating at night. Why aren't you doing something about this? And he's, but he's saying, you know what, you can come and join us. Look, at, look what I did, you know. When, I, when there's this deep yearning, it, it comes out in acts of redemption. And we are his body here on earth, right? We're, we're supposed to be doing his work. We are his instrument of redemption in this world. You know, that whole um, fatalistic approach like, you know, we'll just wait till God comes back thing never really sat well with me. You know, it's like this weird thing like, you know, you just wait, like the kid on the playground, we'll just wait till my big brother gets here. He'll straighten you out, right? I'm not going to do anything. You know, what if, what if that's not the way it is? You know, what if God wants us to do something about it? What if it's our responsibility? What if he's like, this is your deal now, right? I've already done this. Now, now you start doing it. You start redeeming the world. He asks us to be a part of that. And what's cool to me, another thing that just, uh, you know, occurred to me as I was thinking about this is that it really, it didn't start with the fall. It was there before. Um, you know, we talk about um, the, the Trinity. Even before creation, there's the Trinity, right? Uh, God, three in one, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And they're there, and when we talk about, the, we always talk about how he's perfect, he's entire, he's whole, he's lacking nothing. He wants nothing. He is the guy who stands in front of the mir mirror of Erised and sees only himself. He is complete. And yet, for some reason, he is pushed he is driven to this act of creation. Why? Why does he create in the first place? Uh, it seems to me that he has, even in his completion, somehow he can be complete and still have yearning, have desire. 
to be complete and ha- still have that desire. That, that's a strange paradox for me to understand, to be complete and still have desire, but it seems to be the case. Otherwise, I can't make out why he's creating in the first place. Right? So if even God before creation, before the fall, before this whole story of the Bible starts, or outside of time, I guess, even if he has this deep yearning that, that produces some kind of action in it, you know, what if, what if that's something that is an integral part of us? What if it's something that we need? What if it's a gift? And it's not something I have to be pissed off about and yell at God about and, and expect him to do something. I wouldn't have to get all mad. We wouldn't have to give in to despair. We wouldn't have to rail against God. We wouldn't have to substitute, right? This is just one more way, and there's so many ways that he does this, but it's, it's just one more way that he is calling us to himself, that he's calling us up into this, this relationship, this intricate dance of a relationship that we have with this being that is ineffable, unsearchable, and yet so familiar in some ways and in whose image we are created. It's just one more way. It's a gift that he's given us to draw us to himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your your deep desires. Thank you for your unwillingness to stop pursuing us, even in these ways, even when I'm angry with you and we're angry with you or whatever, that you are calling us and you are wooing us back to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would join you in your redemptive work. Kirk. As we close today, we want to celebrate uh, communion in the Lord's table. And so uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he was with his friends and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And whenever you eat of this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've taught you. Remember who you are. And he took a cup and said, this is a, a cup, a new covenant written in my blood drink it, remember. Do it in remembrance of me. And so we come to this table, and we take bread, and we dip it in this cup. And our hope, our prayer, is that it centers us, it reminds us, it brings us back to what this is all about, who God is, what God has done, and what God is inviting us to. I think about maybe even the things that Jesus thought of that day, the things he longed for, the things that he wanted, that he yearned for how simple this is. And so as you come today, uh, I'll invite you to just take a piece of bread and dip it. There's red wine and white grape juice. Uh, there's gluten-free options up upstairs by the bar. Uh, so I'll ask if you're in uh, serving communion, if you'd come forward, and just offer a brief word of prayer, and then you're invited to come and receive. So let's pray. God, as we gather this morning and we come to this table again, we ask that you would remind us of what you've done, of who you are, and who you're calling us to be. That the things that we long for, that we yearn for, that we hope for, 
we wouldn't suppress, we wouldn't medicate, we wouldn't try to pretend aren't there, but that they would be an invitation, a reminder that you have invited us to partner with you in the ongoing work of redemption that you are leading. And so we come to this table. as we close. My hope and prayer is that uh, we not only become a people who recognize the longings and the hopes and the yearnings that we have, but that we also recognize that maybe these are a gift, that they invite us to something that God is inviting us to, uh, which is to partner, to say yes to what God is up to in the world. So grace and peace to you. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.